Again, if you need to move your car real quick, you may do so, okay? But don't move it if it's not parked illegally. You'll, you should be fine. All right? Let's get into the book of Genesis this morning. <clears throat> Seedbed of all Scripture. It's the beginning. The book of beginnings. Not just the beginning of creation, but the beginning of biblical doctrines. So it's very important to understand the book of Genesis. If you don't understand the book of Genesis, you won't understand the book of Revelation. And a lot of times when we study the Bible, we want to get right into the book of Revelation. I know that's how I was. I just love the book of Revelation. But you can't understand it without understanding the first book of the Bible. So in the book of Genesis, in the 36th chapter, please turn there. Now... When you are preaching and teaching through the Bible, you will be tempted at times to pass over uh, maybe chapters like this where it talks about the genealogy of Esau. And you read all these genealogies and things, you think, eh. And you just go, let me go into the good stuff. But there are a lot of things that are said in this 36th chapter that we need to look at because it deals with the warfare and the roots of warfare that we are in as a people. Okay, so the 36th chapter, verse 1, says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, and then we have uh, their names, so on and so forth. And then we see in verse 6, And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters, and all the persons of his house and his cattle, and all his beasts and all his substance which he had got in the land of Canaan and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob for their riches were more than they, they, that, than they might dwell together, excuse me, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And then some more generations are listed here. Uh, look, let's look at verse 12, particularly. Verse 12, And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. So we see Eliphaz with Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. Say with me, Amalek. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Very key right there. Okay, so... The grandson of Esau is Amalek. Say with me, Amalek. All right. Now, as you keep reading, you'll see some more generations here, genealogies that are recorded. Uh, let's look at verse 15. It names before this the dukes of Esau. Now, a duke is a chief. So it names the dukes or the chiefs. Verse 15. These are the dukes of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, and on and on and on it goes as far as the record here. So we have dukes that are recorded. Okay? Amen? Alright. Now, go down to verse 20. It talks about before Esau took over the land of Edom, there were the sons of the Horite there. So they lived there before Esau took over the the land, and so we see verse 20, these are the sons of Seir. So before the land was called Edom, 
It was called Seir after the patriarch that lived there before Esau, before the descendants of Esau dominated, okay? So verse 20, these are the sons of Seir, the Horite who inhabited the land, Lotan, Shobal, and on and on it goes, okay? Uh, listing the Horites there in uh, the scripture. Okay, you with me? All right, verse 31, jumping all the way down, verse 31, I'm not reading all the names, uh, but verse 31, it says, These are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. Now that's interesting, because there's not only dukes, but there's kings that are descendants of Esau. And the Bible says, very interestingly, it says the kings of Esau reigned before there was any king over the children of Israel. Very spiritual significance there, okay? Uh, and as we go down, uh, we see in verse 33, this king here, uh, Bila, he died, and so on. And then the Bible talks about the next kings, and so on and so forth. And as you read through here, you'll notice verse 33, that that king died. And then verse 34, then king, that king that's listed died. Verse 35, Hushem died. And on and on it goes. And you'll see as you go through the scriptures and you're reading seven times, these kings of Edom, it is recorded that they died. Say they died. So these kings reigned unto death. Whereas the king of Israel reigned unto life. So we'll, we'll come back and talk a little bit about that. Okay, amen? Do you see that? So seven times. So we see the record here in the scripture of how these descendants of Esau, these kings died, so on and so forth. So let's talk about it uh, and try our best to preach the word of the Lord from these cha this chapter. Lord, we thank you right now for your mighty presence. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word today. Speak to us, Lord God, and show us, Lord Jesus, in your word the battle that we face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, let's back up just a little bit into the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, we saw in the 35th chapter how that Jacob made his way to Ephratah, which is the ancient name of Bethlehem, Bethlehem Judah. And the scripture says that uh, at that time that we have uh, Rachel dies in giving birth to Benoni or Benjamin. So we got that far last Sunday. Now we come to verse 22 as uh, Israel or Jacob, verse 21, journeys. The Bible says he spread his tent toward the Tower of Edar. And verse 22, very interesting, it says, It came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. So what we have here is the firstborn son Reuben goes and lies with Bilhah, which was Rachel's concubine. Not only Rachel's concubine, but it was Jacob's wife. So what we have in the scripture, the firstborn son of Jacob goes in and commits incest with his daddy's wife or the, the concubine, Bilhah, which was Rachel's concubine. Do you understand that? So this was a horrible thing that took place. That firstborn son of Jacob going in and defiling his uh, father's wife or concubine. It's a very serious thing. Now, as a result of that, 
uh, we will see what is the consequence. Let's go over in First Chronicles 5. There is a consequence for what the firstborn son Reuben did. First Chronicles chapter 5, please turn there. All right, verse 1, please look at that. If you have that, say praise the Lord. Okay, <clears throat> give you a little time to turn there. It takes me a little time to get there. Okay, First Chronicles 5.1, notice it says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... For he was the firstborn, but notice, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. So remember we taught you the birthright, about the birthright and the blessing that the birthright, the firstborn son gets the double portion, and connected to the birthright or the double portion is the blessing we put you in the messianic line or the priestly and the priestly line. Y'all remember that teaching? So Reuben forfeits the birthright by his sin. And that birthright, the double portion, the scripture says, is going to go to who? Joseph. Joseph gets the birthright. Now, the blessing that's connected to the birthright, let's go to Genesis 49. Did I say Genesis? Yes, I did. <laughs> Genesis 49, we see prophecy concerning these sons. Okay, 49 and verse 1. If you're there, say praise the Lord. Genesis 49 and verse 1. Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So Jacob, obviously Israel, is going to prophesy over his sons. He's going to tell them what is going to uh, befall them in the last days. In verse 2, Gather yourselves together, hear ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. But then he says, unstable as water. You are inconsistent. You are unstable as water. Okay? People can't put their confidence on Reuben. You can't build on Reuben because he's not stable. Alright? Now notice it says, he's unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiled thou it, he went up to my couch. So we have in the scripture, First Chronicles chapter 5 and Genesis 39, 3 and 4, we have the consequences for Reuben going into his father's wife and defiling her, committing incest with her. He loses the birthright, okay? He will not succeed in life. 
he will not succeed. He will not excel. No matter what he tries to do, it's always going to be a failure as a result of his sin that he committed, this incest. Okay, so what happened then, God took that, as we read, the birthright, and he gave that birthright to, to, uh, to Joseph, and the part of the birthright called the blessing, he took that from Reuben, and he gave the priestly line to Levi. So in the Old Testament, when you see the priest coming out of Levi, it should have come from Reuben. But because of Reuben's sin, that priestly uh, line went to Levi. And there's other matters that are involved with Levi getting that priesthood. But eventually, it came to Levi. So they were the priesthood, even though they weren't the firstborn son. So the priesthood went to Levi. Who did the princely line go through? Judah. So Judah got the kingly line. That's why Jesus called the line of the tribe of Judah because from Judah you have the kingly line. Like David was from Judah. So again, the priestly line went to Levi. It was divided. The kingly line went to Judah. And so that's where the blessing was as a result of Reuben's sin. Now when Jesus came into the world, He reunited the priestly line with the kingly line in the Melchizedek priesthood so that he, as the firstborn son of God, do you understand this? Had the birthright and the blessing, and then on the day of Pentecost, he gave it to the church. So the Bible says, you and I are kings and priests unto God. That's the blessing. The birthright is the Holy Ghost. So when you receive the Holy Ghost or you become a born-again believer, now you have the birthright and the blessing of the birthright is you are kings and priests unto God. Jesus gave it to you. Okay, so you'll understand a little bit about the Bible and, and why things happen. Why didn't Reuben have the priesthood and the kingly line is because of his sin. So it's not a good thing to sin against God. He, I'm probably going to see Reuben in heaven. But he paid a horrible consequence for his sin in life. He lost the blessing, or the birthright went to Joseph, and the blessing went eventually to Levi and Judah. He would never excel in life. He's just a failure. Just unstable as water. You couldn't put your confidence in this man. So, you know, he could have been very powerful, great in the kingdom of God. But because of his sin, he lost all of that. And when you study the tribe of Judah, uh, not, excuse me, not the tribe of Judah, when you study the tribe of Reuben, you will see that not one prophet or judge or great man of God ever came out of the tribe of Reuben. Not one. That's horrible, isn't it? So it's, it's important for us to live right with the Lord. And so as we come to a close in the 35th chapter, we see this. This is where it happened. And we see the consequences for his action. And then the scripture gives us a record of the sons of Jacob. Amen? Amen. And we see here in verse 27, Jacob came unto Isaac his father in Mamre unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac journeyed. And the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old, full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him there. So this is the third funeral in the 35th chapter. Okay? We have Deborah, 
who was the nurse of Rebecca, Jacob's mother died. We have uh, Rachel dies, and now we have Isaac dies in this chapter. So, everybody understand now where the birthright is and the blessing. Joseph has the birthright as far as the Old Testament is concerned, and the blessing or the uh, priestly line and kingly line was transferred from Reuben to eventually Levi and Judah. Okay, so let's go on to 36. Amen. Now, the Bible says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom? Now who is Esau? Esau is the brother of Jacob. Now, remember, Esau was fleshly. Esau didn't want the birthright. Remember we taught about taught you the birthright? Okay? So again, we made reference to the birthright just a moment ago. But Esau originally did not want the birthright, so he sold the birthright to his brother Jacob. Okay? So when we come to the Bible and we study Esau, we are studying a man who does not desire spiritual things. We are looking at a man who rejects the birthright or sells the birthright and ultimately, so you'll understand, when he sells the birthright, he's saying, I don't need Jesus. Because ultimately the birthright and the blessing, it flows into Jesus. So when you study Esau, the Bible says Esau was a profane man. Profane means a church hater. Esau, as a profane man, the book of Hebrews says this, profane, a fane was a temple. Profane, when you study it, it means that it's somebody who hates the church. So he's a God hater. He is a church hater. He's not a spiritual man. He desires the things of the flesh. He'll sell spiritual things for the world in a heartbeat. So that's Esau. The Bible says that he is Edom, verse 1. And so Edom, remember, Edom means red. Now, it goes back to that place where we know when he was born, the Bible said he was red, he was hairy, and he was red all over. But also the Bible talks about the pottage that he, he bought with the birthright that the pottage was red. So when we see here in verse 1, it says Esau was Edom or was red. It's not just saying that he was red physically. It's telling you he was red in the sense that, like the pottage, he sold the birthright for the red. So he is a picture of the red earth. He is a picture of a fleshly man. He's a picture of a carnal man that does not desire the things of the Spirit. Okay? Now, for us, He is a type of our flesh. He is a type of our fallen nature. Now, Minister Jonathan Lemons preached last Sunday night about the warfare between the flesh and the Spirit. When you study the life of Esau and Jacob, you are studying a contrast between Two individuals, one that is fleshly and carnal and worldly, and the other one, Jacob, who desires spiritual things. Okay? Now, so Edom for us represents our old fallen nature. Amen. Do you understand that? So when we come to the Word of God, basically Esau is the flesh. 
Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Say, it's the flesh. Esau represents the flesh versus the spirit. Now, what did Esau do? Well, he sold his birthright, so he's not interested in spiritual things. He's a very carnal man. The Bible says that he would go out in the field. He was a hunter. And he'd go out in the field and uh, he would hunt. Nothing wrong with hunting, but what the Bible is telling you about Esau in the early chapters was he was independent. He wasn't the kind of man that would trust God. He was independent. He was self-sufficient. He would go out in the fields and he would try to provide for himself on his own without trusting God. Okay? He was a lover of harlots. He was a very, very, very ungodly independent of God, self-sufficient kind of a man that had no desire for the church of God, for God or spiritual things whatsoever. Okay? So when it says Esau, who is Edom, it's telling you more than just the fact that his uh, physical appearance was red. It's telling you he sold his birthright for the red meat. He sold the birthright to satisfy his carnal nature. He didn't care anything about God or the things of God. They didn't mean anything to him. He was self-sufficient. He was independent. And I will just say this to you. A man who does not recognize his need for God, you cannot help that man. Esau was the kind of man who did not recognize his need for God. You find somebody, man or woman, who doesn't recognize their need for God and you can never help that person. Because they think that they can do it on their own, independent of God, self-sufficient. I'm driving down the road just uh, yesterday with my wife and we were talking and I said, you know, uh, and I was talking about family members, you know, uh, and just expressing what we see with our eyes concerning our own family. And, uh, you know, I, I've got some family members. They're, they're pretty decent people, you know. Really, they are, some of them. Not very many of them, but I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, one here and there, they're pretty decent, you know what I'm saying, for the most part. But my mom goes to church. That's about it. The rest of them don't have any desire to go to church whatsoever. And I was driving down the road, and I was telling my wife, I said, you know, I said, I, I can't imagine living life without God, the one who made everything. Can, can you imagine trying to struggle and survive and make it through life and not even acknowledge the one who provides everything and the one who made everything? Can you imagine living like that? I can't imagine living like that to live independent of the one who provides for you, to live independent of the one who made everything, to live independent of God, who's the only one that can give you eternal life, is beyond me. But there are people out there that are just like Esau. They have no desire to serve God. They're not spiritual. All that they're about is the flesh and the worldly and the carnal. And so they sell the birthright. They reject Jesus Christ and they won't live for Him. And that's Esau. He's a picture of that old carnal nature that's independent and self-sufficient. I don't need God. I don't see my need for God. And I'll say it again. 
You get somebody like that and there's not much you can do for that individual. If they don't see their need for how many of y'all recognize your need for God? Now that can happen to all of us. You know, you can get in the church and at the beginning you're really on fire for God and you're seeking God and you recognize just how much you need God and then all of a sudden you start thinking that you're doing it. You know, all of us, all of us can yield to the flesh. All of us can start living a life that's independent and self-sufficient and I don't need God's help anymore, you know. That's that old carnal nature that's on the inside of every one of us. And there's nobody in this church right now that doesn't have it. Your pastor has an old fallen nature, an old carnal nature, an old Esau nature inside of him. Every one of you do. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter what your level of call into the ministry is, you have to remember Amalek. You have to remember that on the inside of you is a nature that is demonic. A nature that is, that is like the devil himself. And you and I are not only capable of doing some of the most horrible things that you can ever imagine, there's something inside of us called an Esau nature, an old fallen nature, fleshly nature, that is not only capable of doing horrible things, but it drives you, it pushes you to do bad things. And that's Esau. Now the Scripture tells us that he married, obviously if he's not concerned about spiritual matter, who's he going to marry? If he's a God hater and he's a church hater, who's he going to marry? He's going to marry somebody in the world. Esau married, and the Bible tells us in these first few verses, brothers and sisters, if you read it, he married women of Canaan, which is equal to marrying an unbeliever in the New Testament. That's who he married. He didn't care anything about church. He didn't care anything about God. Self-sufficient, independent of God. Just carnal, fleshly, full of pride. And he married somebody in the world. That's Esau. That's what Esau does. Esau marries people in the world. Esau arranges relationships with people in a worldly way. Carnal way. Fleshly way. So it's a horrible beginning when we see, when we read these verses, who he married. He married ungodly Canaanite women. He wasn't a good man. And he didn't marry good wives. I want to let that sink in. These women that he married were not good wives, brothers and sisters. They were not good women. But, par for the course, he wasn't a good man. He wasn't a spiritual man at all. He was completely and totally fleshly. And then the Bible tells us as we read about his wives, come to verse 7, something else about uh, Esau. It tells us in verse 6 and 7, he, he separated himself. Now where did Jacob go? He went into the promised land, the land of Canaan. That's where Jacob and his descendants would dwell. The, the land that God promised them. But Esau did not dwell in the land of promise. He didn't dwell in the land of Canaan. He went and set up his society, his living in Edom. It's called Mount Seir. 
And he had to separate from his brother Jacob. Jacob's over in the promised land and Esau's over in the land of Eden which is called Mount Seir at, you know, at time, the time before Edom dominated the land. And the Bible says the reason why Jacob and Esau separated is because of their wealth. So he's living in the wrong place. Very carnal, very fleshly. And there's a separation that takes place because of their wealth. See, wealth can be a blessing. But wealth can also be a curse. Wealth can cause separation. It caused separation between two brothers here. Their wealth causes them to separate and go separate ways. Wealth in our life can be a blessing, tremendous blessing, or it can be a horrible curse. Wealth, if it's not handled correctly, can cause you and I to separate. It can cause separation in families. It can cause separation even from the church. If wealth is not handled correctly, it can become a curse and not a blessing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Relationships are separated. Marriages are separated. People separate from the church a lot of times because of a money thing. That's right. And so we see in the Scripture that Esau and Jacob go their separate ways and it's all about wealth. It's all about money. See, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless myself financially. But if we're not careful, that wealth, that money can begin to separate us from God. Begin to separate us from relationships, even marriages. Man, how many marriages have fallen apart because the husband and the wife are constantly fighting about money? It's one of the main reasons why a marriage doesn't make it. It's... One of the top ones. Always fighting about money. And the people of God, you know, help us God. Because we all have that old carnal fleshly nature. And if we're not careful, that money comes in, it causes problems in the home. It causes conflict in the marriage. It causes conflict even within the church of the living God. A lot of battles. The Bible says the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. It can cause so many problems in the home, relationships, even in the church. Amen? Brother Dice taught me, he said, you know what? how you handle money? He said, you treat it like dirt. You treat it like dirt. Money can be, the Bible calls it mammon. It can become your God. And when money becomes your God, all it does is cause separation and problems. I don't want you to lift your hand. But it's possible some of you had a fight over some financial thing this week. It's possible some of you have been at each other and you're marrying your husband and wife and you've been at each other over some financial situation. Something that had to do with money. 
If money is my God, if money is your God, it'll only cause separation. Hallelujah. You keep Jesus on the throne. You make God your, your king. You keep Him on the throne. Amen? You trust God, God will bless you. He'll bless you financially. He'll take care of you if you trust Him. But just like with Esau and Jacob, when we read the story here about them, their wealth caused them to go separate ways. It was about the money. Amen. The Bible says in verse 7, For their riches were more than that they might dwell together in the land wherein they were strangers, could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, which today is called Edom, and Esau is, again, red. He's fleshly. He's carnal. Understand? He's red. So, the Scripture goes on down and it, it talks about his sons. And then we get to verse 12 and we read about a grandson. And this grandson's name was Amalek. So he is a descendant of the flesh. He is a picture and a type of flesh that is filled with a satanic spirit. Do you understand? When we read about Amalek in the Bible, all the way from this point into the New Testament, Amalek becomes the chief enemy against God Himself. Are you here with me? You see, it's important for us to understand that we pass on to our children certain characteristics and attitudes spiritually. And so when we see, as the Bible says, Eliphaz, Esau's son, uh, has a child, now we have Amalek. We have third generation carnality. We have third generation flesh and sin and worldliness. It gets worse as you go. And when we read about Amalek, and we read about Esau and the descendants of Esau, they were in constant conflict with the people of God, constant conflict with the church, constant conflict opposing God and His authority. It was warfare between Amalek, the descendant of Esau, and God Himself. So you go all the way into the New Testament, and what do you see? You see the Herods. The Herods were Idumean. Idumean means they were descendants of Esau. And when Jesus was born, it was Herod the Great that had those little babies killed. Not the Scripture, but other places when you study they took those babies in Jerusalem when Jesus came the first time and they bashed their heads against the wall. And you could hear Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted. And it was at Ajumean, it was that descendant of Esau, that Herod the Great, that's the one that tried to get the Jesus, the Christ of God. The one who tried to kill him. It was an descendant of Esau that did that. Antipas, Herod's uh, relationship, relative, either son or grandson. Antipas 
was the one who had John the Baptist's head cut off his body. In the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, you read about another Herod. That Herod had James killed with the sword. And so I'm starting with bookends this morning. I'm starting in the book of Genesis, but I'm taking you all the way over into the New Testament to let you know this warfare was perpetual. These descendants of Esau, freshly and carnal, were in constant warfare with the things of God, trying to overthrow God and oppose God and fight the church of the living God. It was a horrible situation. Now, Amalek, who is this Amalek? Well, he is related to Esau. He is a descendant of Esau. And let's travel just a little bit through the Scripture and we'll see what the Bible teaches us about the descendants of Esau in the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus. As you turn there, the Bible tells us Israel has come out of Egypt. They have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They make their way out of Egypt and the Bible says that they come to the wilderness of sin. When they get there, they are thirsty. There is no water for them to drink. And so what do they do? Well, they begin to murmur and begin to complain and begin to chide against Moses, their leader. And so God tells Moses... These people are thirsty and they are in this sad spiritual condition. God says to Moses, you take that rod and you smite a rock. And when you smite the rock, water will flow out of that rock and it will satisfy and quench the thirst of the people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. What he's saying there is that rock, not the physical rock itself wasn't Jesus, but that rock that the water flowed out of was a type of Jesus Christ. That water that flowed out of that rock, Jesus Christ typically, is a picture of salvation and redemption coming to mankind. How did he redeem us? By being smitten. So out of the smitten rock came the water. It began to flow. It's a picture of a person who has been redeemed by that rock and is experiencing the waters of life. Notice after these people, you'll have to read it. I don't have time to read all the verses. You will notice that after they drink of that water that came out of that smitten rock, which is a type of salvation that Jesus provides, what would you expect to happen? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 8, Then came Amalek. Say with me, Then came Amalek, that descendant of Esau, that, if you understand what I'm saying, flesh filled with satanic spirit. Here he comes, Right after, typically, we have people being filled with the Spirit, being experiencing eternal life by the smitten rock, Jesus Christ, typically. 
what you have to understand is this is that once you and I become born again of the water and the Spirit, and we have the water of life flowing out of us, as soon as you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, as soon as you have been redeemed and you've experienced the waters of eternal life, that's when Amalek then came Amalek. That's when Amalek is going to come. Your flesh is going to rise up again. And it's going to seek to hinder your progress in God. How many know what I'm talking about? As soon as you became a born again believer, Amalek or the flesh rose up to say, no, I want to be master. I want to be king. Are y'all here with me today? And you have to understand it's a great battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh wants supremacy. But when does he come? When does he show up? He shows up right after you are redeemed. That's when the flesh shows up and says, No, uh, I want to reign supreme in your life. I want to hinder your progress right now. I want to stop you from living for the Lord. I want to stop you from living for God. I want to stop you right now before you go too far. And I promise you, every one of us in this church, it's not just the new believers, it's not just the new converts, but, it's, but you understand that Amalek comes to hinder our progress spiritually in God. He doesn't like it. The flesh doesn't like it. The flesh wants its own way. The flesh wants to be satisfied. It wants to be... Understand what I'm saying? It wants what it... Flesh wants what it wants. And when you start living for the Lord and you start trying to travel the path of being spiritual, have you ever noticed when you try to be spiritual, that's when that old flesh and that old carnal nature rises up and hinders you from being spiritual. That old nature did not leave you and it did not leave me when we got born again. But as soon as you become a born again believer, then came Amalek. That old flesh comes, that spirit, satanic spirit driven flesh comes and it says, no, I'm going to stop you from living for the Lord. How many have experienced those kinds of battles in your life? You can lift your hands on that one. Because every one of us have. And I don't care how long you've lived for the Lord until you get a glorified body. You have that old carnal, fleshly, sinful nature. It's weak. Paul calls it the flesh. He's not talking about the physical body. He's talking about that, that, that flesh, that carnality that is, opposes God in your life. That hates God and hates the church and, and doesn't want to live for God. It rises up at times in my life. And it rises up at times in your life. The Bible says, when the waters were flowing, when eternal life was moving, and people are experiencing that, that's when Amalek shows up. Then came Amalek. You can see mighty moves of God in a church. Not just in a church, but in different parts of the world. You'll see God begin to 
uh, move in different places and people begin to turn to God and, and begin to live for the Lord and they're getting born again. And as soon as they do, there's some kind of flesh somewhere. Then came Amalek. And Amalek, you can, I guarantee it, you can mark it down by the Bible. As soon as God starts moving like this, as the Scripture teaches, a water that is flowing, you can mark it down. Look for them. There's an Amalek somewhere that's going to try to stop the whole thing. Then came Amalek. When a person has a personal revival, then comes Amalek. When a church begins to have revival, then comes Amalek. When some uh, foreign field people begin to have a move of God there, you can always count on Amalek popping his head up and trying to shut the whole thing down. So we see when he came, was when there was this mighty flow of water that came from the rock. And there was a great battle that took place. And the Bible says, in verse 9, Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out to fight with who? Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I'll stand there with the rod of God, a resurrection power in my hand, Moses said. And Joshua, you go down and you fight that battle in the valley there. And as long as Moses' hands were lifted up, they prevailed in the battle against the flesh. As long as Moses, his hands started getting weary and they started dropping just a little bit, the Bible said then Amalek began to prevail. And so the Scripture says one on either side propped up the hands of Moses so he would not be weary so that the people of God could experience a continual victory in the battlefield. As long as Moses could hold that rod up, resurrection life and power, hold it up, they would prevail. They would overcome the flesh. Give the Lord praise. But that great leader of God would get weary. He would get tired. And he'd have to have somebody come and hold his hands up. But as long as his hands were held up, the enemy was defeated. And you can read the story later on in your, in your leisure. Or the Bible says, <clears throat> praise God church, in verse 13, Joshua disconfitted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It's a picture of what God does. It's a picture of what the Spirit of God does through us. He gives us the victory over that flesh. When I preach like this, don't walk out of here defeated and say, well, Amalek's going to win. No, Amalek doesn't have to win. Because as long as the Spirit of God through you, as long as you yield to the Spirit of God, resurrection power, you will prevail over Amalek every time. He'll pop his head up. He'll try to stop the progress. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Give the Lord a praise right now. What God can do through you. Victory over this grandson of Esau. And the Bible says in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. 
He's the one that gives me the victory over Amalek. He's the one that gives me victory over my flesh. Are y'all with me? Give God praise if you understand. And so the scripture says in verse 16, this mighty memorial set up for the victory that was given God through them, verse 16, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, listen carefully, you have to catch this, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God says this when Amalek came, he was the first one to oppose the people of God as they begin to move progressively in the things of God. The Bible says in Numbers, he was the first of the nations. That doesn't mean he was the first one created. It means he was the first one to try to stop God's move, to try to stop the church from progressing. He was the first one that opposed God and fought God. Give the Lord praise in the house. And so the scripture says that the Lord was at war. Say at war. That's a strong word. At war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, in the margin of your Bible, this is the way this verse is translated literally in the Hebrew. It says this, because the hand of a, a Amalek is against the throne of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So what is it saying there? The hand of Amalek is against the throne. That means that Amalek is against God. He's seeking to overthrow authority in your life. He's the one that is seeking to touch God's authority, to touch His throne in your life. Are you here? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost on me now. And so, when it says Amalek's hand was against God's throne, He's saying Amalek is always going to try to come and unseat the authority of God in your life. He's the one that's going to stir up rebellion against God and His kingdom. His hand is going to try to throw God off the throne. Rebellion, carnality, hating of a proper or divine authority. One translation, if you read even in the, in the margin, it says His hand is against the name of the Lord. And so Amalek had put himself in a place like his predecessors, his great, uh, or his grandfather Esau and Eliphaz, these descendants of the flesh. He had put himself in a position, I'm going to fight with God. I'm going to seek to remove him off the throne. I'm going to fight the name of the Lord. And God says, all right. You want it that way. I'll be at war with you from generation to generation. We go over to the book of Malachi. And the Bible says in Malachi chapter 1, the last prophet in the Old Testament, 
Malachi chapter 1. This is what God says. I'll just begin with verse 1. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by who? Malachi. Not Malachi. Yeah. Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau, Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Verse 4, Malachi 1, Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished. But we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I'll throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. God says He's going to be at war with these people forever. Do you understand that? Alright, say praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So it is important when we study the genealogies that we understand. Where did Amalek come from? This one that will fight against God is seek to usurp the authority of God in my life and your life. He is a descendant of Esau. Let's go to Deuteronomy 25. And we find out some more information about Amalek, Deuteronomy 25, 17. Verse 17, I'll give you time to turn there because I want you to see the way it's written. You see, these, key, these terms are important. When there was a mighty move of God, then came Amalek to try to stop the progress. Say, then came Amalek. You ever notice you start moving really powerfully in the things of God, spiritual, and you're getting really spiritual, and all of a sudden, here comes Amalek, stand pose you. And that old flesh rises up. Say, then came Amalek when the waters flowed. Perpetual warfare, God says, against those people. Now, Deuteronomy 25 and 17, another thing we have to hear, it says, remember what Amalek did. If you don't, if you forget Amalek, you are in great danger. Because the Bible says, God says, remember Amalek. Remember what he did. You and I have to remember Amalek. We have to understand that God is at perpetual warfare against that old carnal fleshly nature that is in us. And the moment that you and I forget Amalek, we forget Amalek to our peril. And I know what the minister, when he preached Sunday night, wasn't too popular. It wasn't too popular. It's never popular with the flesh. But when he brought to your attention this mighty warfare between the flesh and the Spirit, what he was doing by the unction of the Spirit of God was saying, Remember Amalek. Do not forget him. Because if you forget that you are at war with Amalek, it will be to your destruction and your demise. Look at your neighbor and say, Remember Amalek. 
As I progressively preach through the Bible, I will show you a man who forgot Amalek. And it meant his life. He lost his life. So God says to you and I, and He says, I'm saying not just to you, but to me. He says, do not forget Amalek. He said, I remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the what? The hindermost of thee. Even all that were feeble behind thee, when they, they was faint and weary, he feared not God. When does Amalek come to the believer? Amen. We've made it thus far. It says to remember Amalek because God says, I remember what he did to you. So God is telling you and I to remember Amalek. Why? If I forget him, what does he do? He comes when you're weary. The Bible says he attacked those that were the hindermost. He attacked the stragglers in the church. You hear your pastor. That's why I'm constantly exhorting you. Get up and move and fight. Don't just sit there. Don't straggle behind. Are you here with me? Don't fall behind. Because the moment that you start getting weary, and I say you, let me say me. If I start getting weary, and, I, and, and the pace seems to become too hard for me to keep up with. Those people who were walking and the pace, it got too hard for them to keep up with the rest of the church. And the church kept moving. And the, I'll tell you, the church will always keep moving. And you and I have to keep pace. We have to stay up. We have to keep marching in order, in unison, hallelujah, to the Lamb. Because the moment that you and I start getting weary, the moment that you and I start getting tired of trying to keep up with the pace, you can be for sure that's when Amalek's going to come. And he's going to pick you off one by one. I'm not the only one that has stood behind this pulpit. But my wife has already, as at times, exhorted even the sisters in the church. And I hear her often say this to me. She says, that spirit is picking them off one by Now you can come up with all the excuses you want to while you're not keeping pace with the church. You can talk about it till you're blue in the face. You can point at this and you can point at that. But I'm going to tell you ultimately what it was. You were not keeping up. You were not where you should be. And because you got weary, and because you didn't keep the pace and you started straggling behind and you started getting carnal and you started getting freshly, you know what the Bible says? That's when Amalek came in here. 
Because he desire, he desires to destroy you. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. He desires to destroy you when you're tired. He, destri- he desi- desires to destroy you when you're weary. He desires to destroy you when you don't feel like you can keep going anymore. He desires to destroy you when you just don't have, I just don't have the strength to move anymore. You better get up and you better move. Because you're forgetting something. You're forgetting Amalek. You need to remember Amalek. He's fixing to take you out. So you can count on it, church. See, there's a reason why God methodically, uh, verse by verse in the Scripture, teaches us about this enemy that we have so that you and I will understand. Did you come to church this morning weary? Did you come to church today straggling behind? Remember Amalek. You say, he couldn't take me out. I've seen him take out some of the strongest. I've seen him take out people that claim to be prophetesses. I've seen him take out people that claim to be called to preach. That old carnal nature and that pride gets a hold of that individual and said, I don't need that. That pride and that arrogance come and snatch you. That's when He's going to come. It's when the sun is no, no longer shining in your sky. There's darkness. There's depression. There's weariness. There's fatigue. There's, there's this idea I just can't go on anymore. That's when Amalek comes to take you out and to destroy you. Your pastor can't do it for you. All I can do is stir you up by way of remembrance. All I can do is preach the Word of God systematically so you'll understand the great battle that you're in. And at any time you start feeling weary, don't be weary in well-doing. You shall reap in due season if you faint not. But you're going to have to get up. And you're going to have to keep pace. And you're going to have to shake off that weariness. You're going to have to shake off straggling behind. See, there's some things that God remembers and He remembers Amalek. He is at war with that spirit from generation to generation. And He says, so beware. By the word of the Lord, I'm telling you when Amalek's going to come. And everybody goes through those times where you're tired and you're weary and you're straggling. Everybody goes through those times where the sun is no longer shining in your sky. I don't care who you are today. You may, you may have an anointing on your life that is heavenly supernatural. You may be called to a very high level of ministry. But you are not exempt from getting tired and weary. Are y'all here with me? Brother Dice used to tell us this. He said, when you get tired and weary, and you're going to get tired. He said, don't get tired, uh, amen, praise the Lord, of the work. You might get tired in the work, but don't get tired of the work. 
Because when you're serving God, you're going to get tired in the work. But just don't get tired of the work. God's got a call on my life. He's got a call on your life. And that's when he attacks. God remembers Amalek. You know, there's some things God doesn't remember. You come to God and you ask God to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says he won't even remember them. He'll put them behind his back. Hallelujah. He puts your sins in the depth of the sea. When he puts his, put your sin in the depth of the sea, you know, Brother Dice used to say to us, he said, when God puts your sin in the depth of the sea, put a sign up that says, no fishing. Don't bring them back up. God doesn't forget, doesn't remember my sin if I put it under the blood, if I repent, if I confess it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. But you got to make a clean break. I said, you got to make a clean break. You can't just keep carrying rebellion. You can't keep carrying it. You got to make a clean break with it. You got to put it in the depth of the sea. Put a sign up said, no fishing. God doesn't remember my sin. As far as the east and the west, as, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us. If you start traveling east, you'll continue to travel east. It'll never become west. If you start traveling west, it'll never become east. That means it's eternally removed. As far as the east is from the west. You start traveling north, there'll be a time when it's, it turns into south. You start traveling south, there'll be a time when it turns north. But as far as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our sins from us. Calvary is the center and circumference of His will. Calvary is the place where He could say, I'm going to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. So there's some things that you need to be thankful about today. If you're carrying the burden of guilt and sin with you, put it under the blood right now. Put it under the blood. And God will forgive you. He will forget that sin. But when it comes to Amalek, He says, I don't forget Amalek. And you and I can't forgive Amalek either. Have you ever been there? Come on, any honest people here, I'll lift my hands. Where I've been there, I've been weary and tired and... And, uh, you know, so on and so forth and trying to keep up with the pace and, and everything. And uh, that's when Amalek rises up and says, I'm going to destroy you. I say that to you so you'll understand. So you don't think I'm on a higher pedestal than you are or I'm better than you are. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that He comes after all of us. And this is when He comes... He meets, you by, he meets you by the way and smotes the hindermost of thee. You start seeing him take out one brother and sister after another. You don't say, hey, I'm going to join you. You say, I discern Amalek is here. It's not happening to me. I'm not letting him take me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let him push me into further despair. I'm not gonna let him push me into the pits of hell. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do something.
even all that were feeble. Verse 18, Behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, he didn't fear God. He feared not God. He's not afraid of God. He just wants you to find, wants to find you in that vulnerable place. I'm preaching by the Holy Ghost to somebody right now. This message I'm preaching to some of you is going to save your life. Whatever you got to do, man, I got to get back up there. I see the church. It's way up there. Got to catch them. Hallelujah. That's it. Because if I get separated from the church, if I get separated from the people of God, then the devil's going to come in Amalek. That spirit-inspired flesh is going to come in Amalek and he's going to take me out and the church is going to keep on moving. You've been captured. Whatever you got to do, friend. You, you, you pray. You fast. Whatever you got to do to catch back up. You get the victory. Look at your name and say, You get the victory. Help me to preach. You, yeah, you can even use the finger. Go ahead. Use the finger. Just tell him, You get the victory. You just go right ahead. I, I, Brother Dice's influence is on me, you know. He, when he'd preach, he'd go, you know, like that. Man, I don't know, I got that now in me, you know. Somebody help me, point, point your finger at him. I mean, it's not out of disrespect. Point your Say, you get the victory right now. You get the victory right now. Pastor Carter, get the victory right now. Pastor Carter, get over it right now. Pastor Carter... Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Pastor Carter, lift up your head. You serve a great king. Lift up your head. Don't let depression get a hold of you. Don't let discouragement get a hold of you. Get your head up. You, you know what I'm talking about. If something goes wrong in your house. Here comes Amalek. I got you now. I got you right where I want to. I promise you, man, after you preached that message Sunday night, you had Satan tracking you down, man. You had the enemy coming after you. I texted him the next day. Was it the next day? Yeah, I should have texted you that day. But I texted him the next day. I said, you did a good job. I said, you did a good job. Because I know how the enemy works. When you start preaching against the flesh, hallelujah, that flesh rises up, you know. It doesn't like it. So I said, you did a good job, man. Hallelujah. Well, some of you say, well, I don't like it because Pastor Carter is the one that should be getting on to us. He shouldn't be letting Minister Jonathan Lemons get on to us like that. Well, you're not going to listen to me. Don't bring that stuff to say, all right, Pastor Carter, that's your job. You don't listen to me. I told my wife, I said, whoever God wants to use it, praise God, they're not going to listen to me. Maybe they listen to him. You don't like it. That flesh doesn't like it. So I know, man, I've been in this for a while. That flesh doesn't like it. You know, it starts coming up and saying, well, that's Pastor Carter's job. 
Well, praise the Lord, if you listen to Pastor Carter, then I tell him, now every time you get up and preach, you, you throw flowers at him. Because <laughs> they're good boys and girls. No, you and I hadn't made it to heaven yet. And whoever, I don't, praise God, are you with me here? Now, we're not just going to let anybody get up here and just get out of order and get crazy on us. But I'm going to tell you, as long as they're in God and they're, tell, they're preaching the truth at us, we're going to let it go. We're going to let it happen. We're not going to shut that down. We're not going to say, now you're preaching too hard, you know. Now you're preaching hell too much. No, 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 no. I haven't made it to heaven yet. You haven't made it to heaven yet. Holly, give me somebody that can shake me up. Give me somebody that can put me on my face with tears running down my eyes saying, God, I need you. I've been acting independent of you. I've been acting up. We need somebody that have enough anointing in their life that will bring us out of the pit of hell and set us back on the course to heaven. Whoever it is, this is God's house. And so what happens is I'm just telling you that I promise you, brother, and you haven't even told me this, but as soon as you preach that, I know Amalek stood up. He always does. He'll come and tell the preacher, you're preaching too hard. I know. On and on it goes. Let me tell you something, church. You know when we're going to get the victory? When we have the victory over our flesh. And, ever, and I'm not calling myself a prophet. I'm a pastor of a church, okay? But I'm going to say this. All prophets who have a, a prophetic anointing on their life, even, even sometimes any minister can have a prophetic anointing that comes on them. I will tell you what a prophet always is after. He's always after that Adamic nature. He or she is always coming after you and I. That old fallen nature. Because the Spirit of God is at war with that continuously from generation to generation. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Verse 19, Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Don't forget Amalek. Give God praise. You have a responsibility to fight that fight until you win. Don't forget it. Look at the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah, I don't know if you realize it, but the whole prophecy of Obadiah is a prophecy against the descendants of Esau. The whole prophecy. And what is it God at war with? <clears throat> Once again, y'all doing alright out there? How many of y'all feel better now than you did when you came? You know, I normally don't preach like this on Sunday morning. But I feel the Holy Ghost talking to us. Do you thank God for His help? <clears throat> Amos and then Obadiah. Just a few verses. Read it sometime 
when you have time. He says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Look at verse 6. How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? See, that's that spirit that God is in war with from generation to generation. It's that spirit, that flesh, and that carnality that God says, don't forget, Amalek. And what is that manifestation like? It's pride. Pride. It's this independence that you and I get, independent of the throne of God, trying to put our hand against the throne of God. It's rebellion that rises up in us. That pride gets a hold of us. It's, it's an independent spirit. It's a self-sufficient spirit. I, you know, I'm really important. And why doesn't everybody recognize how important I am? It's that spirit that doesn't like criticism. I will say to you again in the context of the book of Obadiah that if you and I ever get to a place where we no longer recognize our need for God then you are beyond help. But as long as you and I can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and the mighty hand of God is apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher that's the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due season. It's not that true men and women of God are trying to lord over you. It's so God can exalt you. And the moment that you can no longer take criticism is the moment you can no longer be helped. And God says, I'll bring you down. Minister, that's why you can't, you can't put, you can't, uh, you can't manage the flesh. You can't manage ego. Did you hear what I said? I'll say it again. You can't manage ego. You can't manage pride. You can't manage flesh. You put somebody on the platform that's prideful and fleshly and carnal, you'll never be able to work with them because you cannot manage flesh. God will take somebody from the sheep coat Hallelujah. He'll take somebody like David on the backside of the desert somewhere and exalt them. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Come on, give God some praise. You and I have to stay humble before God. And we'll get to Saul in just a minute. I'm coming to a close. But there was a time in Saul's life where the Bible says he was little in his own eyes. And when Saul was little in his own eyes, God exalted him. He was the king of Israel. But he got lifted up in pride. And he was eventually destroyed. It's important for every one of us, including your pastor, to walk humbly 
it's important for us, amen, to defeat pride in our life. Even the look, even that prideful look, God hates even a prideful look in you. And nobody can tell you anything. You will not accept any criticism. You're letting Esau dominate your life. You can't be managed. That's that spirit. That's why God is at continually war. That war with that spirit. Go to the book of Numbers. As Israel progressively moved into the will of God in the Scripture, they're in constant battle with Edom. They came to, in Numbers 20 and verse 18, they came to Edom and they wanted to pass through. And in verse 18, Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. This is, this is Jacob's brother in the flesh. Israel on their way wants to pass through Edom. Edom says, you're not coming this way. If you come this way, I'm coming after you with a sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go pay. And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only without doing anything else go through on my feet. He said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through this border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. See, Edom? Edom, again, once again we see, is always going to seek to hinder progress. Whenever you start getting blessed in your life, you get ready for a descendant of Esau to rise up and oppose your prosperity. People that are full of the Spirit of God, they're not going to seek to hinder your progress. They want you to be blessed. But the moment you start getting blessed, get ready for Esau, Edom, to stand up. They always seek to hinder the blessings of the people of God. Do you understand that? Trying to help you identify things because we face these battles all the time. If you look at uh, Numbers 22 in the context of Edom hindering the people of God, we have a man by the name of Balaam. And what does he do? He's hired by Balak to curse the people of God. He, Edom doesn't like the people of God to be blessed. The spirit that was in Edom is in this man Balaam. Cursing the people of God, what God has blessed. If you keep reading, you read the prophecies of this man. 22, when you get a chance, read it. Verses 1 through 6. But go to 24 as I come to a close. Are you all with me? Verse 17 in Numbers 24, he said, I, I shall see him, but not now. He's talking about Jesus Christ. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession 
for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion. And shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up this parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. He's the first one like Edom. That's because he's a descendant of Edom that sought to hinder the blessings and the progress of the people of God. So God says he was the first of the nations, the first to oppose. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, very quickly turn there. God, because he's in continual war against Amalek. <clears throat> Verse 15, verse 3, God tells Saul to destroy Amalek. He says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Slay both man, women, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and tell them 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And you know the story. God, he disobeyed God. God told him to destroy everything of Amalek. The Bible says that Saul took it upon himself to take the sheep and the cattle. He didn't slay them. And not only that, but he spared the king of the Amalekites, Agag. He spared Agag. Disobeying the Lord. And the prophet Samuel comes on the scene. And he hears the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle. And he questions Saul if Saul had obeyed God completely. And Samuel the prophet says, What is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears then? And the lowing of the cattle. What is this that I hear? You have rebelled against God. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You've rebelled against God. What is this bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle? This fleshly endeavor, Saul. You're sparing even Agag, the king of the Amalekites, when God told you to completely destroy it. See, there's so much in the Bible, but this, this bleeding of the sheep in the ears of the prophet and the lowing of the cattle in the ears of the prophet is a type of when a man begins to disobey God because the sheep in the pew are bleeding. And the sheep pressure the pastor. Pressure the pastor. And it may not be that they say much, but they just they have the attitude. I don't like it. And it's just... And maybe they do talk. I don't know. I'm not attacking you. I'm not coming after you. I'm trying to help you. But when a man of God gives in to the bleeding of the sheep, when he starts giving in to the sheep and stops disobeying, starts disobeying God, he's in great trouble. And the prophet will say, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears?
and the lowing of the ox or the cattle. The lowing of the ox is carnal preachers that stand behind pulpits. The lowing of the oxen, fleshly carnal preachers. And the bleeding sheep that Samuel heard is the carnal sheep that are in the church. It's a great battle, a great struggle to continually exalt God's Lordship in my life and in your life, church, because that flesh doesn't want it. And when Saul gave in to the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle, and he spared Agag, he rebelled against God, and the prophet had a strong word for him. When you have time, you will see if you go to the book of Esther, and I don't have time to read it, but read Esther chapter 3, you will see Haman was a descendant of Agag. And because Saul did not kill Agag, his descendants lived on to fight another day, and Haman rose up against the people of God and tried to destroy the whole people of God through Haman. You let Haman, you let Agag live. If you forget to remember Amalek, if you forget Amalek, I'm telling you about a man who forgot Amalek and he let him live and he rose up to live another day to fight another day in a man by the name of Haman. You let Amalek live. He'll come back again in your life and my life to destroy We look even in Samuel's life. The man who forgot Amalek. In 2 Samuel chapter 1. You read that 1 Samuel 15. You'll see what I'm saying is there. 2 Samuel. Don't forget Amalek. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 1, Now it came to pass, Second Samuel 1 and 1, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of, Amal of who? The Amalekites. And David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent, earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth to do obeisance. David said unto him, From whence comest thou? He said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter, I pray thee? Tell me. He answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked be behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. Saul's leaning upon his sword trying his best to commit suicide. 
But he can't even succeed in that. Remember when you're down. There's always going to be Amalek. He's going to rise up. That's why God said, remember Amalek. He said, I remember what he did to you in the day. And because Saul forgot Amalek and he spared Agag to live another day, these Amalekites, they went to war in the days of David. And the Bible said when Saul tried to kill himself, he couldn't even succeed in doing that. And the Scripture says an Amalekite took the credit for finishing him off. You let Agag live. You let that, that flesh live, that Amalekite. You let it live. You won't even be able to succeed in suicide. There'll be an Amalekite ready to finish you off. And when David heard that, this man started taking credit for killing Saul. He not only, he not only took credit for finishing Saul off, but he said, I took his crown and I got his adut. I got his bracelet. I've got his testimony, his adut. Hebrew word adut. What is that? It's when the kings of, of Judah were placed on their thrones. They were seen as the sons of God. And prophets would walk by those kings. And they would begin to prophesy over those kings with a prophetic word what God would do through them. It's called the adut. The testimony. And the Bible says, Saul trying to commit suicide, the Amalekite finishes him off and takes his crown and his adut. The prophecies of what he should have done in the kingdom of God. You let Agag, you let Amalek live, he'll come to take your crown. And the call that God has on your life, there even may be prophetic. He's after that. Hey, dude. There's a man that I bring to your attention. His name was Saul. He forgot to remember Amalek. In the book of Revelation, if you'll turn over to the book of Revelation in chapter 3, Verse 11. This is why God comes to the church of the last days. He comes by this morning. When I preach to you, I want you to understand I'm not preaching down to you. He came by this morning to preach to me. He came by this morning, the Spirit of God came by this morning to preach to all of us. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, And you know how the flesh is. You know how it is. It's always going to make excuses. It's always going to feel sorry for itself. This is the way it is. But when you get down, you might even be you might be leaning over your sword when you get down. Remember, there's going to be an Amalekite standing there ready to take your crown and finish you off. So in the book of Revelation, the third chapter.
church of Philadelphia, the church of revival in the last days, the church on the move in the last days, in contrast to the church of Laodicea. Laodicea is the carnal, fleshly, lukewarm church. Philadelphia is a picture of the church of the last days that's on fire, that has apostolic doctrine. But the Lord speaks. And He says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. That's what Amalekites do. They come to take your crown and your inheritance and even the prophetic word that's been preached over your life. And God says, you don't let anybody take your crown. Remember Amalek. And because Amalek lived on even beyond the days of Saul, beyond the days of David, and they rose up, that spirit of Satan in those men, rose up in those Ijameans, as I said at the beginning, the Herods sought to kill a baby named Jesus. The Herods executed a prophet named John the Baptist. A Herod executed an apostle named James. Don't forget the battle you're in. The moment that you think, I'm taking the flag out. And I'm surrendering and I'm not fighting anymore. When you surrender, you need to remember this. That Satan never surrenders. Don't ever forget it. Remember Amalek. Because with you, if you think, your flesh will often tell you, well, it'll be easier if you don't live for the Lord. It might be easier for a, 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 maybe a day or two, maybe a week or two, maybe a month. But what's the end going to look like? When you come here, church, and I'm telling you as your pastor, and you come and you sit on that pew, and you're no longer interested, you're disinterested, you, you've stopped fighting, it'll only be time unless you repent and you don't let a man take your crown. It'll only be time. Amalek will destroy you. You and I have to keep fighting until the end. And so as I come to a close and we look in this chapter, the 36th chapter of the book of Genesis, we see some very important truths. We see what happens to generations that follow men like Esau, grandsons like Amalek, that are in constant rebellion against the authority of God. Rejecting the kingdom. We see them marrying unbelievers. Esau. We see unbelievers married to Esau producing sons, Eliphaz, who produce Amaleks. 
We see in this chapter the Horites, which is another term for cave dwellers. No wonder Obadiah talked about bringing them down from the high places. We see in these chapters the, the chiefs of the flesh. We see of these chapters in verse 31, the kings of the flesh, the king ultimately of Edom, the king of Esau is Satan. He's the ultimate king. And in connection with those kings, under the king of Edom, we have death, 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 death. Because the flesh rules over as a king over death. And the Bible says that there were kings in Edom before. Ever, verse 31, there reigned any king over the children of Israel. It's first the natural, then the spirit. It's Esau, and then it's Jesus. Until you get born again, the king that rules in your life is the flesh. But it rules first. And then the king of Israel, Jesus Christ, when you become a born again believer, now he's the king. But he's always, it's always that you go through the Bible, it's Esau and Jacob. You go through the Bible and you're going to see this, the flesh and then the Spirit, over and over and over. God's trying to teach you something. Before you got filled with the Spirit and began to walk in the Spirit, before that, the thing that was king in your life was the flesh. Maybe pursuing wealth creating great separation. On and on we see. They died, they died, they died. The flesh reigns unto death. Jesus reigns unto life. Don't let anybody take your crown. The longer I live for the Lord, the more intense I recognize the battle is. I'm not saying that the battle gets in more intense, but the more I recognize it. It is a war. The good news is that God has enlisted you to fight that flesh, that Amalek spirit. He's enlisted me, and I have everything I need and you have everything you need to be successful. As long as you yield to the Spirit of the Lord, as long as you allow Jesus to be Lord in your life and re refuse to let Amalek create rebellion in you, you will be victorious over that flesh. But don't forget Amalek. But someday, you'll get a glorified body. And you and I won't have to worry about Esau anymore. We won't have to worry about that sin nature anymore. But until then, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Will you stand? Father God, I thank You, Lord Jesus, right now that You reign unto life. And that You've filled us, You've filled this church, these people, myself, 
with the spirit of life and help us to understand God this battle that we're in with the flesh Lord let us finish this race by your grace in Jesus name Lord God that rod of resurrection power is lifted up in this assembly and there is water that is flowing out from you to us and through us though the battle rages Lord in the valley with Amalek you will prevail through us Lord as we yield to you and as the rod is lifted high Lord as you bring revival to this church to the people of this house by your grace we will prevail by your spirit through us we will defeat the enemy let there be continual progress Lord and blessing upon your people I pray and help each one of us this morning as we leave this house to lift up our heads for our redemption draws nigh and Lord help us to keep close to our hearts this word that has been preached to us and we thank you for the victory that you've already given us Lord before I see it I declare it would you lift your hands right now and exalt the name of Jesus Will you say yes to his lordship will you allow his spirit to flow through you right now will you let God do it through you say pastor but I've been trying so hard lift up your hands and let the resurrection power of Jesus and that living water flow through you right now let him give you the victory over Amalek Father God, I thank you right now for your blood. I plead your blood. I exalt your name. Amen. There's water flowing right now. I hear, I hear the abundance, the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear the rain. I hear the rain. That's it. Go ahead. Yield to the Spirit of God. That's it. Yield to the Spirit of God. There you go, people of God. Say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I can make it. Come on, get full of the Spirit. Lift up your hands in the presence of the Lord and begin to exalt Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice. That's it, lift your voice. Come on, come on. Don't let your flesh suppress it. Don't let your flesh suppress the praise. Come on. Has Amalek got his hand on your crown right now? Come on, take it back. In the name of Jesus. Don't be weary in well-doing. You shall reap in due season if you faint not. Come on!
Come on, overcome. Overcome. Hallelujah. 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 I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about that fallen nature. Come on, overcome that fallen nature. Hallelujah. Oh God, I love you today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. 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 Look at your neighbor and say, I've got the victory. I've got the victory. I've got the victory. In the mighty name of Jesus, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. I got the victory. In Jesus' mighty name. You got the victory. Lift your hands before the Lord and tell, tell God. Tell God. Tell God. Say, Jesus, I got the victory right now. Thank you for the victory, Lord. Tell God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I may not, I may not be really, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this as a pastor. I'm going to tell you something, man. Sometimes my flesh gives me fits. It gives me fits. You know? But I thank God I can come to the house of God and overcome temptation. I thank God for the Spirit of God. I, I thank God for the ability to be renewed and to be strengthened, to be restored. Because all of us have battle with the flesh. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you real good. Please come back tonight. And I know we're going to have a great move of God. But please come to pray at 5.30 before the service so that we can be victorious over our flesh and that God could have His way. Amen? Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you real good. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.